principles, but really what everyone in the room needs is a God encounter. You know? And yes, I realize I just made a principle out of having God encounters. (laughs) So far in this series, we've talked a lot about principles. And principles are not bad. In fact, principles are good. They show us where to look. And uh, they show us the forest and the trees. And they can often bring improvement uh, to people and to situations right away. But the trouble with principles is that at times, it's easier to trust in principles than it is to trust in God. If there's anything that I've encountered in my life that I know is true, is the temptation to trust principles over God. And the very worst principles for, for trusting in are godly principles. Those are the ones you'll always trade trust in God for. There's nothing wrong with godly principles, whatever that is. I'm into those. But one of the temptations that always accompanies people who are principle-oriented is we will eventually have to deal with the temptation to trust principles, even godly principles, over the Lord. And the reason why is very simple, because principles are manageable. Principles are cause and effect. And by the way, oftentimes what the Lord is doing is not cause and effect. Not only that, but they can be a bit mathematic. And the Lord loves math. He loves math people. But he is very rarely mathematic in the sense that we understand math. Uh, God is relational. He's not manageable. You can't manage God. Uh, You can't control him. I can't control him. Uh, Furthermore, no one in the room can make him speak or be quiet. I can't make him give me spiritual power. I can't manipulate him. God is not codependent. And ultimately, this becomes a huge problem. It really, really does. It really does. One of the things that will happen to everyone in the room is that God will be your answer, and then you'll go through a season where God is your problem. And then he'll be your answer, and then you'll go through another season where God is your biggest problem. God is always your biggest problem and your biggest answer. Why? He's not manageable. He's not codependent. You can't make him do anything. You can cry out for a year and ask him to speak to you, and he either will or he won't. And when he does, it won't be because you necessarily uh, coerced him into it. It will be because he's really good and he's got perfect timing. It's really crazy. God is relational. And encountering him draws us in to a moment where we have to deal with whether or not we trust him. Encounters with God bring us face to face with our stuff. This is a really big thing. This is, we need God encounters, but one of the troubles with God encounters is they bring us face to face with our junk. Precisely because we become face-to-face with his stuff. Here's what I mean by that. When you have a God encounter, like a burning bush encounter, you get a three-dimensional view of God. You get a three-dimensional view of life. Life up to that point was two-dimensional, and then you realize, oh my gosh, there's like three, four, or five more dimensions that I never encountered. And when you become in the presence of the greatness and the glory and the weight and the wonder of God suddenly all your insecurities come right to the surface. You have to start dealing with the fact that God is not an idea. He's real. You have to start dealing with the fact that God is near. He's not far away. You have to start dealing with the fact that spiritual realms are not a joke. Heaven is breaking in. 
it's possible to live like all of these things are just little ideas. Like heaven is this little idea we tell ourselves so that we can deal with the problems and pain in life, you know? And then you meet heaven and all of that goes away. You have to deal with the fact that God has plans, like really, really specific plans. Encounters with God are like moving from two dimensions to three. A depth of field we never considered opens up. And once it does, it marks our whole life. Most of us in the room live with this sneaky feeling that there's more to life than what we see or experience in the moment. But we just don't have words for it. And then God comes near and all of our suspicions get confirmed. Some of us know what I'm talking about. God encounters are alarming and they're affirming. They're alarming in the sense that life is so much bigger than we thought. Most people in the room live with this sneaky suspicion that life is way bigger than, surely it's bigger than this. And then you have a God encounter and it confirms it. In an, in, an, in an alarming way. And at the same time, it's sort of affirming. It's affirming in the sense that we had hoped that life could be much, so much bigger, and it turns out it could be. But you and I, we were made for God encounters. You and I were made to stand before the burning bush. And you and I were made to have our lives upended. Like, you were perfectly designed and created to have God encounters. You are, you are given social faculties to have people encounters, but you were also given spiritual faculties to have God encounters. You were made to stand before the burning bush. If you've never stood before a burning bush, well, hey, maybe maybe before the end of the week. But you were totally, totally, totally made to have God encounters. You can't be a, a human human. You can't be a person person. You can't be totally, totally who you are until you begin to interact with the spirit realm. long time ago, I had a, what I would call a burning bush moment. I've had a couple of these in my life. Um, almost everybody in the room has had these. You may not n- know you had one, but you had them. We were in my community group a few weeks ago, and people were telling their burning bush stories, and they were incredible, incredible. We had about an hour of people, just one after another, telling burning bush stories. I'll tell you one of mine. Um, My mom had been hit in a car accident and was almost dead. Um, How many years ago was that? 99. 99. Heather and I were just just married. Yeah, we were just married. Um, 15 years ago. Wow, okay. And I I thought mom was, I thought she was dead. And I left Heather one night and I went to go see mom in the hospital. This is in Glasgow. And when I got there, things were as bad as I thought they were. It was one of those deals. And I hung out for a little while, and then it was time for me to come home. There was nothing else I could do. So I came home, and I'm driving in my red maroon Chevy truck. And I'm not praying. I'm not doing anything. I'm just driving. And everyone who has ever driven on the Cumberland Parkway knows that it's the most desolate stretch of highway in Kentucky <laughs> after about 10 p.m. Like, cops don't, cops are not even out there. Um, the, in fact, side story, the fastest I've ever gone in a car, which is 130 miles an hour, was on that stretch of road because <laughs> cops are not out there. Anyway, back to this story. I'm in my Chevy, my maroon Chevy truck, and um, I'm just shifting gears. I'm going home. And I'm just sort of zoned out. I'm not listening to the radio. I'm not praying. 
I'm not doing anything. I'm not. I'm just driving. And if you you know that hypnotism that comes on. You're just you're just looking at the end of the the headlights and you're driving. And then suddenly, and I don't understand this necessarily. I've had 15 years to process it, but it still doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Suddenly, the windshield goes away, and it's sort of like a movie screen. And I see a vision. I have an open vision while I'm driving at 65 miles an hour. And the open vision goes something like this. There's this forest of trees. All the trees get cut down. And then I see people come back into the forest, and they start dumping water onto the stumps. And I realize that there's all these people trying to get these stumped, cut-off, dead trees to come back to life. Then after a while, I see these people leave the forest, and I see the massive forest that's been cut down. I see it to just sort of like wilt, and then all the green leaves that were on those trees, they, they wilt more, and then they turn dry, and then they fall off. And then I see, after this forest is really, really dry, I see um, uh, one little spark fall out of heaven. One little spark. It comes all the way out of heaven. It was one tiny spark. And it touches the forest and it explodes into flame. And then I get a, a wide-angle picture on it. And the wide-angle picture is it's the state of Kentucky. And I see everyone from Indiana and Tennessee, Ohio, Missouri, North and South Carolina coming into the fire. little burning bush moment. It's one of those deals that's given a lot of context to the rest of my life in the last 15 years. It's one of the reasons I love Kentucky. It's one of the reasons that I have hope for Kentucky even when no one else does. And the Lord talked to me for about two years about that picture. But we were made to have God encounters like that. Now, even though I told you that God encounters or what we need. And even though I told you that we have a temptation to trust principles, I want to give you three principles about God encounters. <laughs> I am neither hindered by what I preach <laughs> nor slowed down one bit at all. Uh, three principles about God encounters. Uh, number one, our present context is not a hindrance to encountering God. Let's put the scripture back up. There we go. Verse 1. Three, chapter 3, verse 1. This should be one of those chat verses. It's circled, underlined, and highlighted in pink and yellow. Okay? Look at what it says. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side in the wilderness and came to Horeb, and then blah, 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 has a God encounter. This is huge. This is huge. This is huge. It speaks right to one of the biggest diseases in the church. One of the biggest diseases in the church is this idea that my job and my per present life circumstances are keeping me from meeting God. Not true. Moses was at work, and he had a God encounter. I love this. love how this comes about. Moses is out in the desert. He's working for his father-in-law, just doing his own thing. Uh, he's not praying. I love this. He is not praying. Moses is not reading the Bible. There's not a Bible. There's nothing to read. This is like great stuff. I get really excited about this because I'm not good at being a spiritual person. Some people in this room are super Christians and you're great at reading your Bible and you're great at prayer. I'm not. What we see here is that Moses is just going to the work. 
He's not praying. He's not reading his Bible. There is no Bible. There's nothing to read. He's just doing his job, and he ends up meeting the Lord. Our present context is not hindrance to encountering God. And right there at work, Moses meets the living God face to face. I love that God encounters come while Moses is at work. Uh, I love this too. Moses quite literally meets the Lord while he's in his field. I love that. He's out in the desert, right in the field, and he meets the Lord. It's instructive because many of us are looking for a way out of our jobs. It's instructive because many of us are looking for um, a move that could make us closer to God. It's instructive because many of us are looking for uh, a way to get out of our present circumstance. We feel like it's a hindrance. We feel like we need to quit. We feel like we need to move. We feel like we need to start doing something extra spiritual in order to encounter God. And nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is this morning is that there's not one single circumstance in your life right now that's keeping God from encountering you. Sometimes we change jobs. Sometimes we move. Sometimes we start praying in order to have a God encounter. When it seems that most most of the saints had a God encounter that changed their occupation, moved them, and showed them how to pray. That's real good. You should probably write that one down. I worked on that hard yesterday. Get the phrasing just right. It's really true. If you, were, if you just like quickly search through the scriptures, most of the time the people who had God encounters, they have God encounters, and it's the God encounter that moves them, changes their occupations, and teaches them how to pray. Most of us are trying to move, get a different job, and start praying so that we can have a God encounter. It's totally crazy. Why? Because we believe the lie that our present context is, is a hindrance to God. It's not. Principle number two about God encounters. I love the irony here. Seeing a burning bush is one thing, but turning aside is another altogether. Let's look at this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, see, Anybody can see it. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Verse 3 is so important. And yet Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. So seeing a burning bush is one thing, but turning aside is another altogether. The reason I bring it up is because I'm convinced that there are burning bushes everywhere. See, we have this idea that the burning bush is a rare thing. I, I don't believe it's rare. I believe, it's, I believe it's normal. I believe they're everywhere. I'm convinced that burning bushes are normal, and I'm also convinced that it's equally normal to ignore them. Verse 3, Moses sees something, but then in verse 3, he decides to respond to what he sees. God encounters are a mysterious combination of invitation and response. God shows something, and what he shows is his invitation. God encounters are rarely thrust upon the unresponsive. Think about that. Some of us are like, man, why doesn't the Lord ever do anything for me? Well, when have you ever gone out to meet him? He maybe has shown you something and you didn't respond. The, the beginning of a God encounter is almost always something that if you want to, you can ignore, but you have to go and investigate it. Curiosity is an essential trait for those who are going to meet with God. He invites and then we respond. We get to decide if we want to investigate. 
Most of us think that if we were to see a burning bush, we would turn aside and seize it. Well, maybe. Or maybe not. Often the supernatural is wrapped in just enough of the common and just enough of the explainable to be ignored. I've seen this so many times. And some of us in the room are thinking, well, there's nothing common about a burning bush. There's nothing common about a burning bush, especially the one that isn't consumed. If I saw that, I would go see it. Well, a couple things. It could have been on fire for a lot of reasons. Number one, it could have been struck by lightning. Number two, it could have been someone else's campfire. Number three, Moses could have been hallucinating. A little too much time in the desert with a little too with too little water. Too much time in the desert, too little water. And you might be saying to yourself, Adam, that's ridiculous. Yes, but we commonly explain away a good portion of what God is doing in exactly the same manner. See, God will often come in a way that's just natural enough to be explained away. Every miracle I've ever seen in my entire life looked a little bit on the natural side. I've never seen a miracle that was a glowing fire uh, and that looked anything like Hollywood. I've seen unbelievable miracles. Never looks like Hollywood. It's just natural enough that if you want to explain it away, you can. It's the way the Lord typically works. A couple more examples of that. Virgin birth, resurrection. Mary wasn't a virgin. She slept with Joseph. Who are we kidding? Jesus didn't really get up. It was just that his disciples needed the story so that they could... It's just like the idea of Jesus was resurrected. It wasn't really him. Why? Because dead people don't get up. Or he was never really dead, you know? He was just sort of like, he was in a crazy coma. (laughs) Yeah. Burning bushes are everywhere, but they're mostly ignored. This was several years ago, but Heather had a season where everywhere she went, she found two dimes. Everywhere. 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 We would walk down the sidewalk and two dimes would be there. And she would pay for something. And invariably, it was so many dollars and 80 cents. And she'd get two dimes back every single time. This went on for a long... This was like a protracted season. It was comical. Everything was two dimes, two dimes, two dimes. This was over and over and over. And eventually, she realized that the Holy Spirit was getting her ready for a paradigm shift. I'm not joking. (laughs) It's true. Somebody in heaven was trying to pump the brakes on something. But if you want to, you can just say, whatever. 
There's dimes everywhere. See, God is inviting. A lot of times he's showing us something. We just need to turn aside with a little bit of curiosity and say, what's going on with that? What's up with that? Makes me wonder, how many God encounters have I missed? Wonder, wonder how many I've missed. Probably more than a few. And then number three. Visionary leadership. Visionary leadership, like Moses, is ultimately the willingness to be led by God. We think about leadership in terms of like leading people, but ultimately visionary leadership, like Moses has, is the willingness to be led by God. God invites us to encounter him. He puts all kinds of stuff out there, and then one day we respond to something. And when we do, he begins to chat with us. And this is really important. God encounters are almost always about more than Holy Ghost goosebumps. Whenever somebody has lots and lots of stories about the Holy Spirit that are mostly just Holy Ghost goosebumps, uh, but never, never have attached to it calling, commissioning, purpose, caring for other people, uh, broadening your circle, I just write that stuff off. Meeting with God over and over and over again, I don't care, I don't care what happens in that meeting. If it doesn't cause us to love people more, to see the brokenness of the world, and to see that we are being called to be an answer to the brokenness in the world, I just write it off. Like, you fall down on the floor, roll around, have a great time. If you don't stand up wanting to do something about injustice in the world, I don't care about this. And I love that, by the way. Like, I really love it. But God encounters are almost always about more than Holy Ghost goosebumps. God encounters are almost always about getting his heart, hearing his word, receiving his call, and being commissioned. And so Moses receives a new call. And when he receives a new call, he gets a new job. And by the way, he isn't super excited about it at first. He's not super excited. We're going to look at four different sections here. Let's put up the next one. Look at what Moses says to God after God says, Hey, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? This is that thing we were talking about at the beginning where when you meet God in a new way, all your insecurities come up. All right, next one. And then Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What am I going to say to them? Hey, people who are slaves, I, I've been talking with a plant. And the plant says, it's time for us to leave Egypt. Uh, this is actually one of the reasons I believe the burning bush story, because when you really think about it, it's hysterical. Moses goes and takes people who are slaves out of Egypt because he talked to a bush. It's embarrassing. It's one of those deals. One of the ways you oftentimes know that it's God is when telling people the real story doesn't make you look good. This happens all the time. It's like, have you ever had a God encounter you told someone and they looked at you like, you're ridiculous, get out of my face. Most of them are kind of like that. Like, you know, Mary meets an angel and he says, hey, you're going to have a kid, but you're not going to have sex to have the kid. You know, telling the story to mom and dad when she's pregnant doesn't help. 
So Moses isn't super excited. Let's look at the next one. Uh, he's talking about when he goes down and talks to the people of, in Egypt. Then Moses says to the Lord, he says, But behold, they're not going to believe me, or they're not going to listen to my voice. Well, they'll say, The Lord did not appear to you. More of his insecurities coming up. And then finally, Moses says in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. Like, this encounter isn't helping me. That's what he's saying. <laughs> But I'm slow of speech and of tongue. This is the kind of thing, like, you want God encounters? One of the things that comes along with God encounters is all of your insecurities are going to come out in a more profound way. Yeah. Uh, the, the net result, the first net result of a God encounter is you feel worse about yourself. So, Moses has this God encounter. He receives a new call and he receives a new job and he's not excited about it. Like there's two, there's two full chapters of him not being excited about it. All of his insecurities come up. They come up because God encounters cause us to come into contact with God's greatness and we freak out. We become seriously self-conscious about our lack of greatness. And then, in spite of everything, Moses is willing to go. So he's got all of these reasons why he doesn't want to go, but he goes. What is a leader? A leader is someone who has all kinds of good reasons about not wanting to go, but goes anyway. Like, and by the way, everyone's got a list for why they shouldn't go, but only a handful actually go. Obedience really, really matters. Really, like your list doesn't matter. Everybody around you right now has the same list. I don't speak real good. I'm not super good looking. I don't have great clothes. I'm not exactly Zoolander. I'm not making it in the world... <laughs> But then in spite of everything, Moses is willing to go. He's willing to trust God. And this is what makes him a visionary kingdom leader. He felt unprepared. He felt unsure. He felt weak. He felt small, but he was willing. That's the power of obedience. Obedience trumps just about everything in God's kingdom. If God says something, do it, even if you're not feeling up to it. We often lack great clarity or readiness or capabilities. But God knew some things about Moses that Moses wasn't even aware of, even though he had lived it. So check this out. Before Moses was led by God, he was led by Jethro. For 40 years. When Moses left Egypt the first time and went into the desert, Moses spent 40 years in the desert, led by Jethro. Does this sound like anything? Does this sound like anything? He was a shepherd to the sheep in the desert for 40 years. See, God knew things about Moses that Moses wasn't even aware of. Moses had no idea what was getting ready to happen. He had spent 40 years in the desert. And that should sound familiar to everyone in the room right now. Because God, God was preparing Moses in those years to shepherd his own people. And God was preparing Moses in those years to lead his own people for 40 years through a de another desert. Moses had learned what to do in the desert. When he takes them out of Egypt and they go crossing the Red Sea and they get out there in the desert, it's a good thing they had a leader who had been in the desert before. Hey, guys, don't freak out. I've been here. Don't worry about the water. Like, I know what to do. Like, don't put your tent up like that. The wind is going to blow. The sandstorm is going to get in your eyes. It's going to be a... Turn your tent around. Like, put the pegs down. This is what you do. Don't eat those things. 
I, I don't know. I've never lived in the desert. I'm just, I'm, I'm just doing my best Moses here. But, but God, knew, God knew something about him. Like even when you feel the most unprepared, the most weak, the most incapable, God knows something. He knows something. He wouldn't ask you if he wasn't confident. It's interesting to me that Moses has so little confidence in himself, but God has all kinds of confidence in Moses. That's crazy. He knew about desert living. And by the way, God used everything in Moses' history as preparation. In God's kingdom, nothing is wasted. Our histories are filled with preparation. God intends to raise our futures out of our actual lives. There will always be a connection to the past. And because of that, everybody in the room needs to get comfortable with our past. Even the dodgy parts. Sometimes we dissociate so much and we build such giant walls of shame that we won't look at portions of our past. Maybe we're really stupid or indulgent. Maybe we just had sex with anything. And we just have like giant walls of shame around it. Maybe we used to just get hammered and beat people up or get beat up or wet ourselves. I don't know. And we build these giant walls of shame around portions of our past. Or, or maybe it was, it was less dramatic than that. Maybe you were just sort of jerky for a while and hurt some people. Maybe you got a bunch of credit card debt and lost your house. And we just build these walls of shame around portions of our past and we ignore them like they're not really there. But we need to own it. We need to own it. And we need to realize that this is the soil for God's work. Even the dodgy parts. I mean, let's just be honest here. The reason that Moses was, was out in the desert with Jethro in the first place was because he killed a guy. It wasn't because, it wasn't because he like, had vision for desert living and a simple life. No, he, he had to go save his neck. There, the, the, it's the dodgy parts that, that God uses to, to build up and to grow something new. And, and by the way, I, I, I love this too. Everything in your past is going to be reassembled, recycled. What's that word I'm looking for? Composted. That's the word I'm looking for. It's going to be composted for the new. We can't, we can't take our eyes off of it. We can't ignore it. And then Moses ends up in the desert because of some really terrible things. And God ends up composting that into an encounter that leads him to his future. You know, there, there will always be connecting points for the future work of God and the life that you're actually living and have lived. Some of us think like, you know, one day I'm going to be this totally different person than I am now. Ah, probably not. Probably not. You know, you're not a Kardashian now, probably won't ever be a Kardashian. <laughs> Me and Ray Hollenbach. But one of the things I love is, I love that, that Moses has his most profound God encounter out in the desert. Like, we, we assume that deserts are empty places. Uh, no, they're not. They're filled with God. And we assume that there are times in our lives when, when we've walked out of the presence of God. We assume that there are seasons that are so dry, no good thing can come. No, actually, the most profound experiences are coming in the most desolate, dry, arid places. If you're in a desert right now, you should get happy because you're probably about to have a God encounter. If you've been a goofball, you should get happy because you're qualified to meet the Lord of all history. 
you're qualified to talk to plants in a brand new way. (laughs) And this is what we need. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, why don't you come on up? Everyone say hello to Stephen. We're going to do a little ministry this morning. Stephen, you can go first. All right. Sam Yoder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lord, Lord was actually showing me during the service. He was showing me a square of like orange construction cones. And as far out as you could see, there were three different paths. And as far out as you could see, the Lord had lit each path with construction cones. And I seen you, every time you stepped out of the square, every one of the cones flipped over and disappeared. And you would step back into the path, and you would go to the next path and step out, and all the cones would disappear, and you'd step back in. And I really just felt like the Lord was calling you into a place of risk. Like each one of the paths, you could see the end game, like you could see what the Lord was doing until you stepped into it. And I just really felt like the Lord was calling you into a place of like, you're going to step out and risk. Mm. You're going to blaze a trail through wilderness. Mm. Like, you're going to blaze a trail through wilderness that is going to bless so many other people. Like, once I seen you step out of it and start going and walking through it, the Lord began to show me those cones popping back up for the people that are going to follow behind you. And I just really feel like you're going to bless a trail for people to follow in your footsteps. Amen. And they're going Amen. to see the same end game. Amen. And what's your name? Yeah. Austin? All right. The Lord showed me a picture of you standing in front of a window. And the only vision that you could see out of the window is what the Lord was doing through that window. But... It was a tunnel vision type of look. Just, I can't do anything. I can only stand behind this window and watch what the Lord's doing. And I watched the Lord pull that window away. And, like, there was not a wall in sight. And the Lord was actually blessing you to see what he sees and the vision that he sees over different people and over your life. And I just bless that. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Anything? Yeah. Um, I feel like some people may in the room, like, been asked, um, asking the Lord to filter their mouth. Um, and you just need someone to pray with you through that. Um, the mm-hmm. Lord has grace for that. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your name back there? Um, Red hair. Marilyn. Marilyn. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw like you leading thousands. Like you were on a stage, and like you were just leading other people to the Lord, and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's great. Good job. Good job. Good job. Awesome. Hey, why don't you guys stand up? I want to pray for you, but after I'm done praying, uh, there may be some people in the room who just are in that spot where they need a God encounter. Hey, why don't you come on up? There are some people here who would Love to pray for you, okay? Yeah. Father, we love you in this room. And God, we ask that you would would encounter us. Father, we are thankful for things like wisdom. And we're thankful for things like principles. And we're thankful for guideposts to live our life by. But Father, we really, really, really want to be people who encounter you. God, we want the aroma of being around actual Jesus. Not idea Jesus, 
actual Jesus. Father, I just ask that more and more and more, God, that you would deliver uh, this church from idea Jesus and that you would put us into contact with real Jesus. Father, um, I ask that you would deliver us from uh, the desire to control God or to manage God or to make you codependent like we are. And Father, I ask that you would, that you would give us the ability to trust what you're saying. And we ask this in the name of real Jesus and not idea Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer for anything, come on up. Otherwise, high five and hugs.